Becker's Hospital Review is committed to delivering our audience safe access to vital educational opportunities. With this in mind, our 11th annual meeting will be in virtual format for the first time. Whether in the home or workplace, attendees will have access to sessions where industry leaders will be discussing the most pressing issues in healthcare, including the rise of virtual care, addressing clinician burnout, and delivering on-price transparency. To learn more, click on the conference tab at beckershospitalreview.com. This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by a great CIO, the CIO of Ohio State University Medical Center, the Wexner Center, uh, Phyllis Teeter. Phyllis has been at this for a long time. I take it she's become a Buckeye fan, not a Wolverine fan, but we'll find out today. We're going to talk to her about what applications, what programs, what works, what doesn't work, what she's excited about, priorities, her career, and a little bit more. Phyllis, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you, Scott, for having me on today. I'm the Chief Information Officer at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, and I have been at OSU for 30 years. I actually started here with a brand new IT degree when we used to build our own systems in COBOL and C++. So um, I've seen our organization change to uh, being what it is today, which has um, been an exciting and a wonderful ride. So, so the Ohio State University Medical Center and the whole system is a magnificent system. I know I, I, I see Dr. Paz, magnificent leadership, an entirely great system. Talk about the pride in watching the system become as great as it's become in the period of time that you've been there. I mean, that must be exciting to watch. It's been wonderful. And you're right. I am a Buckeye. So my pride extends to being part of this great institution. I have degrees from here. My kids went here. My parents went here. My babies were all born here. Um, this is a wonderful place to be. And I'm very, very attached to Ohio State. Um, I have do you, do, yeah. Let me ask you one question along that. Do you, it's become so hard to get into Ohio State today. Yeah. Do, do you ever tell people of your generation that yes, my kids could get in today, but we couldn't, or, or parents couldn't, because it's become so hard to get into, and it's such a great school. Yeah, I mean, my kids um, all got in, but it, but I got in, you know, because I could pay the bills, and you know, I had a pulse. So, but it truly has become magnificently. It was always a great institution. It's just gotten better and better. And yeah. talk about your pride in the medical center. So it has been a joy to be part of an organization that has grown and advanced uh, so many things in the in the field of academic medicine, and just to see the um, the respect that our organization has for the community and the community has back for us. I do think that um, there is a great love of Ohio State in general, but also really. Um, uh, a respect for the medical center and a um, knowing that this is the place where we can make a difference in their lives. So it's been fantastic. And take a moment on, is CIO today, what do you view as your top priorities and how do you keep track of so many different priorities in, in trying to keep the information technology evolving, growing, getting better and better? What are the big priorities today? So really the big priorities are, the, and the number one is managing that work um, and that volume of work. There aren't any bad ideas 
in healthcare IT anymore. There's just many, 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 way too many to do good ones. So how to pick the very best things to spend those scarce resources on. Um, because if you do that well and are able to do that, it gives staff great satisfaction. So you help your team. Um, it really helps the organization to achieve its, achieve its strategic goals. So thinking about how to manage that work and manage it well so we are concentrating the resources on the, the top things that can make a difference. So we have a great PMO, um, project management office or portfolio management office that helps us do that. And so that's one of the ways that I use is to really get um, staff dedicated to just the, the overseeing and prioritization of the work to make sure that the resources with the technical skills are working on the most important thing. And do you look at rationalizing the number of systems and programs going at any one time? And how do you look at those issues in terms of both trying to add programs and applications, get rid of programs and applications? How do you assess those issues? So I think at the at the heart, it's about can we are we replacing a, a function that's already somewhat automated or a similar function, um, or are we still because there are still functions in the healthcare world that are have not been automated. So are we bringing in a new system to really help to automate something that we do in a manual way somewhat today? We might be documenting it you know, in a system, but we're sort of documenting it by hand instead of getting fed by, you know, maybe an IOT device, um, an Internet of Things device. So it's really about making sure we understand the current state of how those things are getting done. And then really driving through enterprise platforms. And of course, we um, do happen to be an Epic client. Um, and so, but it would be true with any EMR. How do we drive standardization through that? Because that brings the standardization in the user interface. Um, it does, it is certainly more efficient not to be adding additional systems that we need to care for that have their own platform or their own cloud that really you know, create a whole set of responsibilities in addition to just delivering the new functionality. Um, and so thinking about that and, and really challenging the organization and our, and our staff and IT to make sure that we, again, are choosing um, where we need to have a new system and, and we need to add, well, then what are we getting rid of and how do we replace to make sure that we're continuing, not continuing to escalate cost and complexity for the organization. How does a CIO work with different service lines? I know you're at a huge institution, but did you ever end up interacting with sort of the head of cardiology or the head of orthopedics or the head of you know, the ER? Or is that, or do you not in your role do that where they're asking, you know, can we add this best in class program or not? How do you end up working? How does a CIO interact with different parts of the institution? So I w work with all of those folks, and I'm very fortunate, having been here so long, that I know them all <laughs> quite well, um, and and to really help them understand our guiding principles and how do we think about this. Um, not to understand the technical solutions, that's our job, but to understand the guiding principles related to you know user acceptance and workflow, related to cost efficiencies, um, and standards related to security, 
um, and all of those things to help them understand why those are important for our organization um, and to work with them at all the time, not just when they are saying, I want to buy a new system um, or I want to investigate a new system or something um, to really build that partnership and to think about bringing things to them from the technology organization. We do um, road shows of various new EPIC functionality. We do a yearly kind of um, show of everything that we accomplished and the new things that are coming from our various vendors um, to really be bringing solutions and, and communicating well what some of the new solutions that we have access to um, before we get, you know, a request for something that we know then we have to understand why we why we would hope to use our existing systems versus buying a new one. So you love what you do. You do a great job at it. What has surprised you over the last ten years? I, I, there's just there's so many different things that have happened. Obviously in the time of your tenure, you've seen the EM, EMR evolve, you've seen this predictive analytics stuff, you've seen telehealth, you saw COVID. Like when you think back a little bit, what has surprised you over the last decade or two? What what is sort of like or, or just been an evolution you didn't expect? I think the pervasiveness of technology, um, and both in our personal lives as well as here at the medical center. Uh, and and how it's really morphed into our ability to um, you know, make any change or do something new in an organization. Um, we, we are so dependent now on the technology. Um, I used to think it was all about me and technology, but now a lot of the things are. We have a whole portfolio dedicated to nothing but our construction and renovation work in IT. So, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a brilliant point. Let me ask you a follow-up question on that, Phyllis, because I, I, I love that. It's fascinating. And you've, you've had, you're one of the people that's had the tenure to be able to answer this question. At what point did it move from Technology was a function. In the old days, it was a function. It was sort of a service where you had to keep the computers running, the you know, it was modems and computers and big servers and things like that, to where it moved from that to being sort of a really a chief in the organization and part of truly the C-suite in terms of managing the whole system, not just being a function. At what point did that evolution happen, or is there not really a specific moment, but it's been an evolution? I don't think there's a specific moment. I do think for healthcare, um, the the um, really the the change in the requirements for EMRs um, via meaningful use was when it finally kind of got over the top. Um, because now you know every hospital and every clinic is in the same boat. You can't rearrange who's seeing you know. Um, patients in what area without like touching the system anymore. You can't, it is just such a part of um, every step in the delivery of healthcare in order to keep that record. The same way it's like, you know, when did we really start having a paper chart? Well, you know, before I was born certainly, and um, but now it just, you can no longer accomplish um, the mission of our business without, um, without having that right by your side. I mean, it's the same. It, it falls along with the personal adoption of technology, right? It was about the same time when um, folks started really always carrying their cell phone. And so I think 
it's broad in the digitization, you know, digitalization of our whole economy. Um, and it really hit healthcare kind of all at once because we had been so paper-based. Let me ask you another question. The EMRs, there's these great, great systems, the Epics, the Cerners, the Allscripts, the Meditex, and others, um, you know, and, and, and others. Obviously, Epic, Cerner, Allscripts, the biggest, Meditex, still very, very powerful in a lot of smaller mid-sized hospital systems. Every few years, somebody says, those are going to be replaced by some web-based system that's a different approach to it. But but it strikes me as, just like they said, colonoscopies would be replaced by virtual colonoscopies, but there's there's whole industries and so much embeddedness. Is that is that ever a reality? And I guess we could never say never, but is there any – as a CIO, do you see so attached to the epics, the CERNs, the Meditex, the Allscripts that this is never – it'd be a very long time till that changes, or is there a part of your mind that says, yeah, I could see where that could happen? So I think that um, it's not so much the function of um, being in, in, you know, embedded with a vendor or a system. I think it has to come back to the the actual how do we accomplish the delivery of healthcare, um, and it requires. Um, so much information to take care of a patient, right? So, so you've got this sort of record-keeping nature of wanting to know everything that ever happened to that patient, and of course, at your institution or any other, to make sure that you're taking the best care of that patient that you possibly can. All of those pieces of their clinical history are so important um, to making a current decision. Um, and so, so that kind of drives the whole, it's a library of information about every patient, right? So the size of it, because that's one of the things that's so unwieldy is the size of an EMR and all the information in there. I'm not sure how we're going to get away from that. Um, and then when I think the other way is creating that new information, creating all that documentation, creating, you know, the orders to deliver the therapies, um, all of those things. It, until those processes change to frankly be less cumbersome, I wonder whether any EMR can be less cumbersome for a process that's that's pretty labor intensive, you know, whether you're doing it in a paper chart or an electronic one. You know, it's fascinating. What, you're, what I, you know, as I hear you talk, it's fascinating. It reminds me, I, I saw a system a long time ago change how they handled the revenue cycle. You know, they, they, they thought they'd flip a switch it would be cheaper and better and more efficient. And that system, this is a long time ago, literally went broke in that change because they ended up messing with a core function that ended up killing their cash flow, and it was a disaster. And it, it's very interesting to hear you talk because it seems like it's not that you are that you don't have a choice, but once you're so embedded with the system, there are so many pieces of information that if you had to do a, a change, and I'm sure people do it all the time, but they yep. must have to run it as two systems for a period of time, for a long period of time to make sure it runs and translates well. But there is a lot of stickiness once you're heavily invested with, with one of the huge enterprise programs. There is, but I think you're also, we're all heavily invested in healthcare itself, and, an, and a new EMR is not going to change those base functions that we have to do no matter who we have, right? It, you know, when they talk about, you know, when will the EMR come that is 
100% user-friendly for being a physician. I don't know if, if it's possible given what we require physicians to do today. Yeah, yeah, incrementally getting better and better, but then the further incremental improvements seem to be smaller and smaller. But yeah. it's a it, 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 different question for you. The yeah. information technology, the data analytics has been so important to improving how diseases are treated and so forth. How rapidly are the information systems helping to improve the treatment of cancers, heart disease, obviously COVID? What do you see from your vantage point in terms of the evolution of the impact of the information systems and the data analytics to better treating you know, these at least these three or four big, big diseases that affect so many people? I think they are making a significant difference in our, in our ability to advance as well as to safely care for patients with such um, high-end therapies. If you think about some of the therapies that they use in, in certainly in treating cancer or oncology diagnoses, um, without the technology to um, build those to such precise, if you think about delivering you know, radiation therapy or proton therapy for that matter, without the technology and the analytics to, to test those and understand how they would function um, from a research perspective, I, I don't think we would have the advancements that we see. Um, I think also the, the correlation and the ability to answer a hypothesis question um, so, you know, it seems like I've seen, you know, we'll just pick something, you know, 20 people with blue eyes and they seem to, and, and they always seem to have a particular high blood pressure. Is there a link? I mean, that's a trivial example, but, um, but the ability to ask those hypotheses um, of the data um, is where I think, you know, it, it allows us to focus our scarce and brilliant research minds um, on those things that seem to have some correlation according to data, not just anecdotally. So I, I do no, that data is advancing us tremendously. Well, it, it, it seems to be hugely, particularly in places where there's precision medicine at work and more and more in the oncology space, somewhat in the COVID-19 space, of course. The heart disease space seems very challenging still just based on genetics and behavior habits and other things like that to really impact how we'd like it to, but, but hopefully making progress there too. Phyllis, it's a great pleasure to visit with you today. We've got a chance to talk about a variety of different issues, and I appreciate you indulging me and taking you down different paths. Just so thoughtful and such a great tenure and a remarkable institution. Phyllis Teeter, CIO of OSU, Ohio State University. At, at some point, I assume I've got a daughter at Michigan at some point, in the next decade or so, Michigan will beat Ohio State again. I don't know if it will happen or not, but it might happen. But we'll see. I, I wouldn't we'll bet see. on it. We'll see. <laughs> it, it, is a, it is a great pleasure to visit with you. It really is just tremendous and, and great leadership at your institution. Thank you. Thank you. You being a big part of that. Thank yeah, you very thank much. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thank you.